This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. 2NURFM 103.7, we're talking travel. Sally Lucas, we've got something good lined up for today. We have, Jane. I thought we'd discuss rail travel today. And that, of course... So many good memories there from are, steam train times, which, of course, we only have for special events these days. But rail yes. travel is really coming back into its own. It is. And, I mean, I remember as a young child, you know, travelling on the steam trains where we lived. It was a train service to get into Newcastle and so on. And it was a thrill, you know, as a child. I can always remember, you What's know, that? don't put your head out the window. Watch, you'll get cinders in your eyes. Um, oh, so you we had to do that once. Oh, again. you did. But, I mean, we don't have to worry about the cinders or anything so much anymore, do we? So rail travel has come a long way, Obviously, and in this time we're talking about, well, the Indian Pacific, and it's 40 years old. I mean, I could be by surprise when I read that, actually. It doesn't seem that long ago to me that it, that it started, but obviously it did. So we've had 40 years of um, one of the world's most famous long-distance trains, really, the Indian Pacific. Well, crossing uh, a continent <coughs> from side well, it's to side. Apparently, it's, it's one of the few trains that apparently that it, it spans an entire continent from east to west and west to east on the one service so it is quite unique and they give you 40 reasons for the 40 years why you should travel by train and I mean I won't go through the whole 40 obviously but as we said number one is to experience one of the world's greatest train journeys and of course to, to span the continent um, over three nights it is, people aren't aware of that it's, it takes a three night journey if you're doing it from Sydney all the way through to Perth um, and of course you're taking your time when you train it of course and you're not just hopping on planes with extra security etc these days and all the check-in times and whatever but having said that if you wanted to you can also put your car on so if you're fancying railing one way and carring the other well you can always do that or even if you just wanted your car to tour whilst you're over in Western Australia and rail back again, of course, or or fly back, of course, depending on if you'd like to experience all genres of, of travel. Um, one other thing they thought they mentioned, which was quite interesting, was that seatbelts weren't required and you can also get up and walk around between takeoff and landing <laughs> and at routes in between. Well, you, yes, I guess you can on a plane or a bus too, but of course you do have to have your seatbelts. Um, the other good thing is no phones, no mobiles, no faxes, no emails, so utter silence in that regard. So that's a bit of bliss, I think, in itself. No TV. And also you experience two of Australia's natural wonders because you actually travel through the wonderful Blue Mountains and, of course, the Nullarbor Plain, of course, which, as we all know, means a treeless more Nullarbor means no trees, treeless plain. Um, they serve three-course meals with, with fine wines in the um, Queen Adelaide restaurant dining car, and all meals, of course, are cooked on board by their own chefs. And you're actually just seeing our country, I suppose, in, in all its glory in a way you probably would never ever see it because not many people, I guess, do the drive. I mean, there's an odd person does, but it's not as common, I think, to do that drive across the Nullarbor. I also think the drive, the road is <coughs> a little bit further south than the rail line, and the rail yes. line goes through the real Nullarbor, whereas the yes. road is actually slightly closer to the, the cliffs. To the, to the coast. To so I guess, you know, as you say, doing it one way, rail and one way car, it wouldn't be as silly as it sounds, I suppose. So you experience all that. Um, and of course, you've got, at 1,092 metres is the highest peak, of course, in the Blue Mountains, and it's a World Heritage listed reason, as we all know. And, of course, as they all say, we, we can enjoy the lost art of conversation. I mean, these days, no one picks up the phone anymore to talk to anyone. They Twitter, tweet, tweak, whatever they do, email, and I think, why don't you just pick up the phone and have a chat? 
you know, so here we go. And you can meet some wonderful people, uh, people who journey the world just to experience long train journeys. And you can meet some very, very interesting people, of course, with you. Um, also, of course, you're going to spot those you know, wonderful wild camels from the train as you're going through. And you might spot some brumpies and donkeys and all sorts of things. Um, and you do, of course, have um, a couple of stops. But you can also, if you wish, make stops. You know, you can break your journey on this as well. So if you didn't want to do it all in one long hit, you could probably get off, you know, in Adelaide or Broken Hill or Kalgoorlie. The only thing is you've got to do this within a 60-day period. But that's okay. Most people would do that anyway. Um, and, of course, they do have these what they call whistle-stop tours at, at selected places where you get off and, and a sightseeing program is given to you in places like as we mentioned, Kalgoorlie, Adelaide, Broken Hill. Um, so the Indian Pacific, along with the GAM, which operates between Adelaide and Darwin, is one of the few trains on earth to travel between two major seaboards and across the entire continent, as I said. So it is quite special. And what they've also have got happening this, this particular year is because of the 40th anniversary, they're offering some special discounts. So because of that, and if you happen to... Um, pardon me, be celebrating your own 40th wedding anniversary in 2010, they're actually, and you book on one of their packages, you receive a special ruby commemorative pendant valued at about just under $300. So there you go, anyone celebrating. Yes, Mm. isn't that a nice touch? So 40 years, and it's they're calling it their ruby anniversary, of course, which it is. And... um, Yes, the first service, as we said, started, and it was nearly called the Plainsman. It wasn't going to be called the Indian Pacific. Mm. Um, and I guess that was because it's travelling across vast plains, I suppose. That was where it would have come from. I don't know where or how it happened to change from Plainsman to Indian Pacific, but there you go. So it was February the 23rd, 1970, it actually started. So it's mm. actually, you know, already... It, done its 40 years as you say and it took the first journey took 62 hours and 20 minutes after it left Sydney and 10,000 people greeted the train as it burst through a special net of streamers so it would have been a wonderful occasion wouldn't it and um, just an incredible link between east and west for us you know in in that time as well so yes there's another good reason to travel by train it's the 40th anniversary but also it's just a wonderful journey and there's about 55,000 passengers do do that journey every year so so it is well travelled, and I know it's a wonderful experience. As is, as I said, there are other train journeys as well, including the GAN. So yes, if you haven't done one of our wonderful train journeys in Australia, this might be the year to do it. We're talking travel on two and you are FM one hundred three point seven. Sally Lucas joining me, Jane Klein, and we're still staying on the train, Sally. We are. We're on the rails today, well and truly. <laughs> Let's not get off them. <laughs> no, try not to get off them anyway. Um, this time we're going to talk about a relatively new train service that is from Beijing in China to Lhasa in Tibet. So you're crossing the roof of the world on rails, and it was quite an engineering feat, of course, as you can imagine. Um, and the idea of a railway to the heart of Tibet was actually conceived in 1919 by Sun Yat-sen believe it or not. And he was the first president, of course, of the Republic of China. Um, Mao Zedong further investigated the feasibility in 1955, but it wasn't until 1984, eight years after his death, that the first section of the track was completed, um, which is an 814-kilometre stretch from Jining to Golmud, both in Chinese um, Qinghai province. And then it took another 17 years for the actual real feat of construction to begin in March 2001. So the 1142 kilometre high altitude railway um, that is an unprecedented project they called it in the history of mankind it was built at a cost of US 4.2 billion 
um, it employed 100,000 engineers and construction workers for four years, many of whom had to breathe bottled oxygen and endure temperatures of minus 45 degrees. Um, 86% of the railway is higher than 4,000 metres and 550 kilometres of the track is laid on permafrost and the highest point is a lofty 5,072 metres above sea level, which is almost as high as Everest Base Camp. Gosh, so it's certainly quite, much easier to get there oh, on the train. Yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty impressive if you think about it. I mean, it holds nine world records apparently, being the highest railway in the world, the highest train station, uh, which is at Tangula, 5,060 metres above sea level, highest railway tunnel and so on and so on. So and it was opened in July 2006. So it's, it's just, you know, given that, I guess, corridor now that's opened between Beijing and the Tibet Autonomous Region. Um, so it was very interesting, but the the train's called the T27, and I don't know why it's called the T27, Jane. I can't enlighten you on that one at this stage. But um, they have different classes like, you know, soft and hard class, and really, I mean, even the soft sleeper class is, is nothing like platinum or even gold on the GAN, um, but it's the most comfortable way you can do the journey from Beijing to Lhasa. And at least that it will be until the new, they've got a new, a luxury train beginning next year called the Tangula um, and that's going to be quite interesting because people might want to do that to give them that extra bit of comfort but it will be at a cost of course. That's supposed to be completed in 2011 and it's going to accommodate 96 passengers in two person suites or with private bathrooms and the fares for the five day trip will start at US 4400 per person twin share with gourmet meals and excursions included so that's to come in 2011. How long does the trip take, Sally? Well, they're saying that one takes five nights. So, yeah. It's quite a long it's distance. It's quite a long anyway. distance, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's a long way. And um, the, the four birth cabins, and this particular journalist who wrote about this, um, that she had a Chinese man, a Tibetan woman, and a Japanese man. And so you're sharing with any anyone and everyone. And each bunk has a coat hanger a wall-mounted television with headphones, though the English language content apparently is oddly limited to Forrest Gump and 1930s Huckleberry Finn movies. <laughs> and under the panoramic window, you have a folding table bearing a, a vacuum flask just to make um, tea and noodle soup, um, which you can get hot water from the end of the carriage, and it has a vase of plastic tulips, oh, which sweet. never falls over a testimony to the smooth ride, <laughs> they said. Um, and you nice. get a complimentary magazine called China's Tibet. That's quite interesting, isn't it? China's Tibet. Yes. Um, anyway, the, it's a real United Nations apparently on the train, and apparently it's always full. You've got to get in early to book. And even at, this, at the railway station, you sort of push and shove to get to your cabin and all this, so yeah. Um, she had four Israeli women in the cabin next to her, and then there are other Australians en route to Everest Base Camp, and people that were bound for Nepal and French honeymooners. So, you know, obviously, it, it, all characters on board, and it was very, very, very interesting. But she said there's um, one day in the um, early hours of the morning, she heard this whooshing sound coming from a small vent in the wall, and, and her head at the same time began to ache. Um, and it was signs that they were climbing onto the Tibetan Plateau, so which is um, 3,500 kilometres across with an average elevation of 5,000 metres. So the trains aren't pressurised, but they have generators that pump oxygen-enriched air through all the carriages once you start reaching the, uh, the higher altitudes. Mm. Um, you can get personal oxygen breathing kits are available, but she said she didn't actually see anyone 
using one or needing one, and they consist of a plastic tube that fits to your nostrils and connects to oxygen outlets above each bank, a uh, bunk, sorry. Um, <clears throat> so she said she had a mild headache for a while, but that eventually disappeared. And once you sort of leave China and away from the, the farms and the mines and the high-rise apartment blocks you're still seeing in China nowadays, in their place, then you get into this infinite empty flatness, of course, and then you've got the, the, Kun, the Kunlun mountain range. And, of course, she said there's all this interruption by a stern male voice broadcasting on the PA saying dear passengers and friends etc and they ask you not to smoke because of the oxygen rich air is of course inflammable and um, should you see antelopes and yaks and wild deer and brown bears and then the man says before signing off let's enjoy the eyes please provided by nature <laughs> so the English is quite funny um, but, but yes, I mean, the scenery they, would be fantastic. Oh, it'd be fantastic, Mountains. and uh, it was quite quite remarkable. And should eventually get used to the thinness of the air, and and then eventually, of course, you're coming down a little bit again to a slightly lower altitude. And they actually got into Lahasa railway station. I don't know how they did this two hours ahead of schedule. Hmm. So that's interesting, isn't it? Now they said on that journey, though, it only took them 45 hours to travel across China from Beijing. Um, so only a day and a half longer than a four-hour flight. But it's the beauty, I guess, of that long-distance train travel and that you're, you're travelling across the top of the world, which really is quite an engineering feat in itself. Certainly so is another of the great train Another of journeys. our wonderful train journeys you can experience. Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thank you, Jane. And we'll be talking travel again next Friday after the <coughs> 1 o'clock news on 2NURFM 103.7.